Hi everyone! Happy Halloween! Hope y'all are having a super spooky day. We got a little long-winded with this episode of Jennifer's Body, so I'm releasing it in two parts. So here is part one, and tune back in for part two. Hello, and welcome to Fatal Fims, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we'll be talking about the 2009 film Jennifer's Body, written by Diablo Cody and directed by Karen Kusama, starring Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, Johnny Simmons, Adam Brody, J.K. Simmons, Amy Sedaris, and cameo by Chris Pratt. To get us started, here's a synopsis. A newly possessed high school cheerleader turns into a succubus who specializes in killing her male classmates. Trigger warnings for this episode are severe violence and gore, violence against women, alcohol and drug use, implied sexual abuse, use of homophobic and ableist slurs, and frightening and intense scenes. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, Go watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. I am so excited about today's episode. Uh, Yes, this is kicking off our Halloween October theme of The Creature Within. Our spooktacular, if you will. Ooh. Ooh, spooky season, she comes. So yeah, we're kicking it off with demons. Demons, succubus to be exact, I guess. So this movie came out in 2009 and we're just gonna let you know what was happening in the world at that time because I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time remembering. Oh, yeah, what were these cultural things that influenced this? Yeah, 2009 was a big year for you and me, I think. A lot happened because I had just moved with you down to where you were going to college. I started cosmetology school. I turned 21. Carl and I started dating. There's a lot of history happening in 2009. Graduated cosmetology school. (laughs) In the world. Yes, in the world. Barack Obama was sworn in as the 44th president of the United States. Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett both passed away. Sonia Sotomayor took the judicial oath and became the third woman and the first Hispanic woman to serve on the United States Supreme Court. J.C. Duggard was released from her captors. She was kidnapped in 1991 and was imprisoned for 18 years. Yeah, and the Balloon Boy hoax happened later. I don't remember that. So, okay, so it was the one that it made huge national headlines that a young boy got swept away in this giant balloon into the sky. And so there was like national coverage on this balloon because everyone thought there was a boy inside of it. And it ended up being a hoax. And the parents put it all together and they were fined and given sentences and served jail time. Wow, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, it was, that was a pretty big deal because I want to say there was some national coverage like watching the balloon because everyone's like, this thing is going to pop. Because it was some kind of like big balloon. It kind of resembled like a UFO or like some kind of spacecraft. And so there was like this watch on this balloon because everyone thought there was this kid in it. And so everyone was trying to rescue the kid. And eventually the balloon came down and there was no kid in it. Okay then. I can't believe you don't remember that. Yeah, it was super weird. Oh, and not only did he get sworn in as the 44th president of the United States, but Obama did win the Peace Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize. Much better 
times. Yeah. Although there was a great recession going on. Apparently it ended. It ended, but we still felt the effects yeah. of it for a long time. And now we're in another one. Woohoo! <laughs> the number one movie that year was Avatar, and the number one song was Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, I still haven't seen Avatar. Neither have I. But apparently they finished filming the sequel. James Cameron just announced that. Hmm. Yay. I mean, good good on them. I still need to watch the first one. So we are talking about Jennifer's body. Yes, this was one that I pushed for. And I'm so glad you agreed to cover it. Because this movie has had such a redemption arc. Because it started out getting panned pretty widespread. It flopped really hard. It was a, it was supposed to be a breakout starring role for Megan Fox. And it didn't do that for her. Megan Fox was done very dirty in results of this movie. And other things that happened when she was in Transformers and all that good stuff. Now, post the Me Too era, it's been reclaimed by feminists as a feminist movie instead of this male gaze sex romp that it was intended to be. So some- some of the things that was said about it was were not good. A gruesome paint by bloody numbers. Clever for its own sake, a showy piece of writing that doesn't have that all-important ball bast of sincerity. Mm. Self-conscious splatter over a sorely lackluster scare flick. But there were some good reviews, and we'll get to those a little later. I pulled three different reviews, two that were good and one that wasn't quite so good. One of the problems with this was that, well, one, in 2009, nobody cared about women. So, like, for it to be a movie about women for women was like, what do we do with this? Who's going to watch it? Yeah, because uh, Kusabo and Cody both felt really strongly about this movie and what it was supposed to be. And the studio is kind of the one that messed it up with the marketing because it was all about Megan Fox and how sexy she was. So they framed it as, they, they even called it like the male version of Twilight. So instead of all the girls oogling over Robert Pattinson, it was supposed to be Megan Fox, all the boys going ooh and all over her. And someone actually wrote, this was an actual review. If you're in search for a way to ogle Megan Fox's body, there are a lot better ways to do it than subjecting yourself to this movie. Another review said, Jennifer's body is not funny, nor is it sexy. The girls keep their clothes on, nor is it scary. It's all just special effects. And the marketing campaign was, like you said, all about Megan Fox being sexy. There was even supposedly supposed to be, and I don't know how this was going to work or whatever, but where she hosted some porn site and the tagline was going to be, Jennifer sexy, she's still your boyfriend. It's like, it's not even a sentence. What? Yeah, that makes no sense. Because like I said, it was kind of marketed as this male sex rob kind of thing but in truth it was more a commentary on girl and girl hatred sexuality the death of innocence po politics in small towns how they respond to tragedies like there was a lot more in it and so when it didn't tick the boxes that it was marketed that it was going to people panned it another big thing was is they hyped up the girl on girl kissing scene they're like ooh, amanda seyfried and megan fox are going to kiss it didn't even play into the relationship they just hyped up like a girl and a girl are going to kiss because in 2009 that was newsworthy was that the year that i kissed a girl and i liked it came out i think that came out the year before but yeah it was right in that time where it was very chic to like be a faux lesbian 
male sex fantasy. That was the word. I, that's what I was trying to think of because that's what it was billed as, male sex fantasy. There's a there's a couple of articles that I will link to in the show notes, but um, this one from Vox.com said that I'm sure if the film opened today, it would be a sleeper hit. As it is, one day I'll be teaching it at the intersections of cinema studies, film theory, and women's studies. Yeah, this film is experiencing a reclamation, and it kind of started a few years ago when the Me Too movement was kind of at its height, but it was reclaimed, tossing out the idea that it it was a fantasy for men and started looking at it as a fantasy for women who experience trauma. And also how the patriarchy turns women against each other. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from a BuzzFeed article called You Probably Owe Jennifer's Body an Apology, I pulled a couple quotes and the director said, from the outset, I always felt like this is a horror movie about toxic friendship between girls. On a large scale, it's about how these alliances between girls get distorted and corrupted by the patriarchy. We are just completely aligned by those kind of ideas. Mm. Yeah, I have one here from Vox. Uh, in a post-Me Too world, the implications of the storyline look uncomfortably familiar. It's the story of a group of powerful men sacrificing a girl's body on the altar of their own professional advancement. It's also there's the story of them using her torment as a bonding activity. I realize it's jumping ahead a little bit, but they're like, well, we didn't drive out here for nothing. It kind of reminds me of like, ugh, well, I have to buy something at this craft show. Otherwise we drove out to the country for no reason type of thing. Not like, oh, we're going to kill someone. Just like, ugh, we can't waste a trip. Yeah, it's like, well... Maybe she's not the right person to kill, but we need to kill somebody. We've yeah. come all this way. Back to the makeout scene. This is another quote from the BuzzFeed article. It's, they said that it's one of the most misunderstood moments of the film. That Cody included the kiss in her script because she wanted it to be clear that Needy is on some level in love with Jennifer. She acknowledged that the audience might be more sophisticated now and able to pick up on her queer subtext without me dropping an anvil on them. There's definitely a toxicity to the relationship between the two girls. I think she says in the beginning, sandbox love never dies. So it's kind of talking about two girls growing up, going different ways, and the influence of the patriarchy of wanting to look a certain way for the male gaze and how that affects both girls. But I think at the end of the day, there's always kind of this codependency that I picked up on at least between the two of them. And it's not just on Needy's side, it's on Jennifer's too, because Jennifer keeps coming back to Needy. So I do think there's some, some deep-seated love there, but it's just marred by all this other stuff that's happening. Well, and part of that is because usually at that age, you're forced to fit into different types of groups. And also, it's in a small town. So the way that high school and everything works in a small town, it's like you're in each other's lives kind of no matter what anyway. Yeah. It also is kind of interesting to think about that because you think about the friends you have in grade school. And if you have long-term friends, if you stay friends, it's like those you start changing from that person in your teenage years and, and later teenage years. It takes a lot for those friendships to hang on through those changes. So should we start talking about this movie? 
Yes, lead us through it, Lacey. Well, I'll start off by saying I love Amanda Seyfried from Mean Girls and Veronica Mars. Having her in this movie is great, and I love how she gets to play with the different aspects of this character, because obviously who we see her at in the very beginning is not who she is through most of the film. So she gets to explore a very dark side of Needy. Yeah, because when we first meet Needy, whose real name is Anita, by the way, found that out in my research. But the first time we meet her, she is in a mental institution. She is an inmate. She is being sent all of these different things by religious people saying she needs to accept Jesus. Yeah, so we're just, that's kind of the first thing that we're seeing is just her day-to-day life in this mental asylum. Did you notice what craft she's making? I didn't. What is she making? She's making a god's eye. Oh, oh with the yarn? Uh-huh. Oh. Okay. I don't know that that means anything, but I just thought they sacrificed Jennifer to Satan. She's making a god's eye. I don't know. I just thought that was an an interesting choice of craft for her to be making. No, that's super funny. And it's like, it was that sent to her by like one of these religious fanatics. They're like, here's a craft. And she's like, cool. But yeah, so she's labeled in her file and she makes a point in the voiceover to say she's a kicker. And she demonstrates that with one of the people working in the asylum who comes up and kind of questions her breakfast choices, like what she decided to eat. She just kicks her in the face and sends her flying across the floor. Yeah, and you can tell because it makes a point to show that she doesn't have on shoes, she has on literal bunny slippers. Also, when I was a teenager... A kicker was like a cowboy. Oh my God, I forgot that. Yeah, because that one girl that we knew, I I won't say her name, but that one girl, she was like, yeah, we want you to dress kicker. And that was like, she told you that you could probably get a boyfriend if you dress like a kicker. Yeah. Oh my God. She was like, okay, do you want a preppy boyfriend? Or do you want a kicker boyfriend? Or uh, there was others and I don't remember what they were. And I was just like, uh yeah talk about toxicity (laughs) yeah no kidding let me dress for the kind of boyfriend i went oh god the 90s were a crazy time i guess that was the 2000s but yeah so she kicks the the nice lady in the face i don't know if she was a nice lady but she kicks the lady in the face she knocks out her tooth and she gets sent to solitary so she's in this room by herself just looking violent and and pissed off Yeah, she's crying. Yeah, she's talking about how she used to be normal. Well, as normal as any girl is under the influence of teenage hormones. And she said one line that I really liked was, after the killing started, she just kind of felt loose around the edges or something. Mm. But you notice, too, that the ceilings in this solitary room are, like, really high. It really looks like a very uncomfortable room. It's just cement, and there's no blanket or anything. No, nothing looks padded, because I always talk about the padded walls. This just looks like a cement block. And it's, yeah, very, very tall ceilings. There's a window way, way up high. My roommate, when we were watching, went, oh, at least she has a window. That's nice. Some natural light. I'm like, yeah, it's like 12 feet up, but okay. But yeah, so she starts talking about who she used to be before 
before the asylum and starts talking about where she grew up, which is Devil's Kettle, Minnesota, which is an actual place where they actually filmed. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. I just assumed that they made it up because when I was watching it, I was like, wow, I wonder how long it took them to find this really cool waterfall and everything. But I guess Diablo Cody must have written it with that place in mind. Yeah, she must have because that was the actual waterfall in Devil's Kettle. So they filmed those sequences there, but they also filmed in British Columbia and other places in Canada. Before we move on past the asylum part, I just want to point out that there is a speaker in the wall that starts playing a song and she claps her hands over her ears and says, I hate this song. When I rewatched this, it didn't jog anything for me. I was just like, oh, okay, she hates this song when I started re-watching it the second time I was like oh it's the song oh is it the song it's the song oh I didn't get that at first either oh my gosh so it starts that early yes with the song we'll talk about the song in a little bit we're getting there it's just an instrumental version it doesn't have the lyrics that's probably why it doesn't make much of an impression when it started playing I started kind of singing the words in my head and I was like oh oh Yeah, when we start talking more about that song, that song is kind of a bop. (laughs) It's kind of fun. I have realized now it is one of my favorite fake songs. Like, my number one favorite fake song will probably always be the one from Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, Scott Pilgrim has some really good ones too because Brie Larson plays, oh, what is her name? She plays one of Scott's, or she plays Scott Pilgrim's ex and she has this great song and it's recorded by an actual band, but she sings it in the movie. And it's so good. It's like, hello again, friend of a friend. It's really good. You'd love it. And then what's another movie? There's another movie that has really good music. Because this movie has really good music. The soundtrack is really good. I can't think of what it was. But yeah, Scott Pilgrim is really good. Josie and the Pussycat. Always. Always. That is the pinnacle. That's another movie that gets slept on. Because that gets better as you get older. Yeah, that movie is great and my love for Parker Posey like she is an absolute amazing nutcase in it lights so good anyway back back back. to this movie yeah so we're in Devil's Kettle and their mascot their team names are the Devils so they're the Devil's Kettle Devils Yeah, I mean, but what else were they going to be, honestly? I don't know. That just felt real on the nose, but I guess this is Minnesota. But so getting into the waterfall, because the town is named after this waterfall called Devil's Kettle. It is this waterfall that has this whirlpool. Things go into it, but nothing ever surfaces. And scientists go there and and they're like on these, I don't know, grapple hooked or they're like have safety, like safety cords. And they're dumping these orange balls down into the whirlpool to see if they can find out where it comes out and she says maybe it goes to another dimension or maybe it's just really deep yeah so we go right into the scene first that she's kind of talking about all of the events that just happened two months ago and how you know she and her boyfriend chip her boyfriend's name is chip his name is chip dove chip dove oh my god so funny 
fact or funny fact, fun fact, Johnny Simmons is in Scott Pilgrim. He plays young Neil. So the whole time I was just calling him young Neil. And he is not related to J.K. Simmons, who is also in this. That was my next question. I didn't know if that was true or not. Or I didn't know if that was an actual thing or not, but I wondered. I, well, when I looked them both up on Wikipedia, it didn't say son of or father of. So I just assume it's a coincidence that they both have the same last name. I don't know how common of a last name Simmons is, but I guess common enough. I mean, there's Richard Simmons, Whitney Simmons. I don't know who that is, but I know that name. Who is that? I think she's an influencer. I don't know. So anywho, so we open on this scene in the gymnasium type well, thing. I love this transition because she says, we were our yearbook photos. And so yeah. it zooms in on a yearbook photo that then transitions into this like pep rally in the gym. Right. Jennifer is obviously played by the gorgeous Megan Fox and she is just like, pinnacle Megan Fox in this. She's in all her Megan Foxness. She's on Color Guard, which I was doing some research just to see, you know, what the, what the people, what the kids were talking about. And I stumbled across this video of this girl talking about the fact that Jennifer is on the Color Guard. And she's like, how is Jennifer that hot? and that popular and she's on color guard. So I found that interesting because it says in the synopsis that she's a cheerleader, but we never see her as a cheerleader. We just see her on the color guard. Well, I don't think you could be both cheerleader and color guard. Only speaking from small town Texas football experience, you couldn't do both because the color guard performed at the football games and the cheerleaders were also at the football games. So you couldn't do double duty like that. A lot of times, if I remember, remember correctly sometimes you'd be put on color guard if you didn't make cheerleader maybe I can't remember because I mean this is all secondhand because we were homeschooled so I'm just trying to remember like what our cousins and our friends experienced because I know I had a couple friends that tried out for cheerleader didn't get it and then they were on color guard and there's like this intense rivalry between color guard and cheerleaders there's like a stigma around color guard I don't get it because I think the flags are super cool there was a lot of little videos and tiktoks and commentary about they thought it was really strange that Jennifer is on color guard and is one of the most popular girls because apparently that isn't the popular thing. I don't know. But I didn't actually see any cheerleaders in that either. So maybe, maybe they didn't have cheerleaders. Maybe they just had color guard or maybe they did both. Yeah, color guard cheerleaders. I don't know. So we see, you know, Megan Fox and all her Megan Foxes. She, I mean, she is always beautiful. Like she is distractingly beautiful and she is so pretty in this movie. And she has three kids. I mean, I don't think she had three kids at this time, but I'm pretty sure that she had one at this time. No, it was right before. She got married in 2010 and had a baby pretty soon thereafter. Still, I've seen recent pictures of her. She looks incredible. Yeah, she's she is just a stunning human. So we see her and she is in the center of this formation at this pep rally. And then in the bleachers is Amanda Seyfried as Needy. She's talking about like how close they are. They're best friends, sisters practically. And she is Jennifer's biggest supporter and she's like enthusiastically waving at her friend and smiling and Jennifer smiles and waves back at her and this girl, oh, what's the comment she makes? She calls her a lesbi gay. A lesbi gay, which kind of sounds like let's be gay. I had the subtitles on, so it was spelled L-E-S-B-I hyphen G-A-Y. Yeah, that's what mine was too. No, but this girl kind of, she kind of acts as as the commentary for a group of people 
kind of thing. Like she's kind of a group commentary and a single character because she's always kind of there to criticize Needy. She comes up a couple times just kind of making fun of her or correcting her or targeting her in some way. And that this is the first time she's like, you know, you're a total lesbian gay because you're waving at your friend. I think they are in love with each other, but it's like, really? I would do that for my friend. I'd be like, oh my God, you're doing so good. Yeah, that's not a weird thing. But again, this movie is commentary, so. Yeah, it's commentary on how much girls scrutinize each other, for sure. Okay, so the next thing that happens is, so they have these nicknames for each other. She goes, what's up, Monistat? And she's like, what's up, Vagisil? (laughs) Which is really funny to me. That's a very, that reminds me of myself as a teen. Jennifer finds Needy and is like, hey, this band that I found on MySpace, which is just delicious. Oh, MySpace. It's just, the flavor is immaculate. Because, yeah, just, I I love the fact she's like, I found this band on MySpace. Oh my God, they're so salty. Or she's like, the lead singer's so salty. Which is funny, because salty now means jealous, I think. Like, why are you so salty? Yeah, because if something is too salty, you don't want to eat it. Yeah, and this, she's like, he's a salty snack. So (laughs) this is like precursor to being a snack. First, first they were salty. But she wants to go see this band that is playing at Melody Lane, which is the town's one and only bar. And so she's trying to convince Needy to go. And Needy's like, I'm going to hang out with Chip. Jennifer's like, no, you're not. I like her little thing for when she is unhappy with something. She goes, boo, cross out, whatever it is. Yeah, it's like, boo, you whore. But she goes, boo, cross out, needy. And needy gives in immediately and is like, what time's the show? Jennifer's like, I'll pick you up. And Chip comments on that he says you always do what Jennifer wants you to do and she she goes against that and says no we just have things in common but you can really tell that they don't yeah I think she's still thinking about it in her in the sandbox if you will and she's not really realizing that they're growing up but to her they still have plenty in common that's outside of what Jennifer wants to do yeah I was listening to this thing and it was talking about how like when you're a kid All you really need in order to be friends with somebody is the fact that you both like, you know, Pokemon or whatever. And that's enough to bond you. But as you get older, you need something more than that. And I think that's that's the point that they're at. Yeah, bonding over their Barbies or, you know, whatever it was when they were little isn't enough to necessarily keep them that close. But also when you have a close friend... It's hard to realize when you're kind of growing apart. And and people tend to fall into roles. And there's always tends to be a more outgoing friend and then the maybe the less outgoing friend. I think you can probably relate to that. Yeah. Because I was always the more outgoing friend. I've never really been the laid back, easygoing friend. And I think that's more you. Yeah. I tend, I mean, not always. As all my friends know, I'm a very stubborn person. But I will tend to like go along with what other people want more than like being the one to say hey let's do this thing I'll more let somebody else take the lead and and go along unless I really don't want to and then 
nothing can make me. <laughs> then you're like, it's not happening. Oh, something else I kind of locked on to was when she goes, wear something cute. And Needy interprets that. And she's like, what she means by that is I need to wear something that isn't super nerdy and is trendy, but it can't outdo her. I cannot shine her. So I thought that was very interesting that she she knew what that meant in Jennifer speak. Right. Do dudes have stuff like that? No. They don't usually write. It's just Jennifer gives me Regina George vibes sometimes. And that was one of those, wear something cute, okay? It's like a Regina Gretchen Wiener situation. One thing that I thought was really funny... When Needy's getting dressed, Chip is there and he's like, those jeans are so low, I can almost see your front butt. Yeah. And I had never heard anybody else say that before. Who else says that? That's what mom used to say to us when we were little. You had your front butt and your back butt. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. You don't remember that? Oh, I just thought that was hilarious because mom was the only person that I ever heard use that before until this movie. Like, in what context would she say that to you? Like, don't show your front butt to strangers or what? I honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> no, I don't you ever. Know, that- yeah, I don't remember. I just remember something about the front butt and the back butt. Well, I'm glad you took that away because I certainly did it. Yes, so that, that was humorous to me. He also tells her that he can basically see her womb. Yes, and I'm like, dude, stop policing her outfit. Yeah. Which, by the way, is just... Great. She's wearing a tank top over a long sleeve shirt. And she's like, this is my rock show look. With low rise jeans, the low rise jeans of the 2000s. Oh God, I'm so glad those aren't a thing anymore. I'm, I really what? wonder sometimes how many people I showed my crack to at church, like at youth oh. group, because I would only wear mud jeans, remember? Who mm-hmm. remembers mud jeans? If you do, comment and rate this episode because it was mud, M-U-D-D, and I would wear them so low and I know my full butt was out at these youth group meetings and no one ever said a thing that's how i know all those people are shitty were they also the ones with the flare on the bottom not not bell bottoms but but flared yeah they were flared so i'm re-watching lost with a friend right now and that's all that they have are low-rise jeans so like their shirts come down to a regular kind of shirt length but the jeans are so low that you get that one part of your stomach that's just kind of awkward like right underneath the belly button your little your little lower lower belly yeah and it was just kind of like I'm not sure why we thought that this was the best look like unless you have a flat flat stomach like that doesn't make you feel like it honestly it has no support like who's wearing this and just like yes Evangeline Lilly is gorgeous in Lost so like it looks amazing on her yeah she's um, hella cut too but um yeah if you've got like me a little bit extra then it just like pooches out over your pants and yeah. And that doesn't make you feel secure and confident. At least it doesn't yeah, me. Yeah. I'm much more happy right now with the, the higher rise pants. Although the way our fashion is circling, we'll be hitting the 2000s pretty soon, so. Oh, we are fully in the 2000s. Like, the, a lot's happening. There's a lot of resurgence of 90s fashion and 2000s mixed in there. Because I'm seeing girls, like, wear things. Like, I follow a lot of fashion bloggers and stuff. And I'm like, okay, this was the outfit of my dreams when I was eight in 96. But anywho, 
back to Jennifer's body. Yeah, sorry. Oh no, so she so Chip's there while she's getting ready to go to the show and <laughs> Jennifer shows up and she's like, I have my mom's 2003 Sebring till 1130. Like she has got it made. The other really, the most important takeaway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is she can sense that Jennifer's there before Jennifer announces herself there. Yeah, because Needy leans over and kisses Chip and he's like, oh, okay. And he starts to like unbuckle his belt and she pulls away and she goes, Jennifer's here. And then Jennifer yells out, Needy. And he's like, that is so weird. Yeah, girls just, they have a psychic connection. It's like we have a fifth sense, to quote another Amanda Seyfried character. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite lines from this movie, and I remember seeing this for the first time back in 2009, and literally not remembering anything about the movie beyond this line, and it has stayed with me ever since. And the line is, it smells like Thai food in here. Have you two been fucking. I think you immediately told me that line. You're like, you have to watch this movie. There was this line in it. I can't stop thinking about it. And I still think about it. And as I'm saying it out loud on this recording, that's probably going to be heard by, you know, one or two people that that might, is that racist? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what what she means. I have no idea what she means by that. It smells like Thai food. Have you two been fucking? Like, I don't understand that. Like, is Thai food an aphrodisiac? Like, is chicken pad Thai what gets the ladies going? Thai food is delicious, but I, other than that, I don't know. Do you know what's more delicious than Thai food? Thai iced coffee. So good. So they're going to go to Melody Lane and. Okay, so we're just, we're just brushing over the Thai food fucking line. Well, I didn't know what else to say about it. Yeah, I don't know what to say either, but it just, it, it, I think about it at least once a week and I'm not even joking. I literally think about that line at least once a week. Interesting. I, cause I don't know what she means. I need to look that up. I don't know. Maybe nobody knows what she means. Maybe it's like all over the internet and all I had to do was look. But I love what Chip says about Melody Lane. He says that place is disgusting. Everyone in there has a mustache. (laughs) He knows. Although Um, stashes are making a comeback. I also love the whole exchange about you are so jello, you're lime green jello. And she's just got some really great lines in it. Sometimes they don't quite hit for me. But overall... I like it. We'll let y'all make your own decisions about what that line means. Who knows? If we ever meet Diablo Cody, you can ask her. I'm really going to ask. Because that it sounds like something a teenage girl would say, though. Like, that would make sense to me. Like, and to be fair, this movie is a little... It's got some problems, some problematic things going on. So it's very possible. I wrote down one of the first ones when they get to the bar. So let's let's move on. We'll move on from the Thai food line. But yeah, when they get there, immediately everybody's just hitting on Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, Craig. There's the one guy. He says something like looking good or something, and yeah, she says that's why he's an R word math. Yeah, he thinks he's cute enough for me. That's why he's in our word math. And it's like, she uses that word several times in the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of our word usage or they'll like spin it into another word. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's a little bit cruel. And the thing is, it's like that since this was made in 2009, it was still it was still pretty socially acceptable to say that people weren't really calling people on that. 
Right. More that she it was just kind of mean being like he thinks he's cute enough to date me and that's why he's really stupid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have a question for you. Yes. How old are they? I'm guessing they're probably juniors. That's normally the sweet spot of these movies. So, I mean, obviously in real life, they're well over 18. But how old are the characters? So you're saying probably like 17? 17, yeah, 17, 18. I think she even says something about them being 17. Okay, cool. So, Roman, played by Chris Pratt. Yeah, random Chris Pratt. What the fuck? Which was a little disconcerting. I don't know why, but it just was kind of weird. Okay, so he is a character who is either going to be a police officer or in the sheriff's department. He's a cadet with the police officers or something. And she's 17. Mm -hmm. Here in the bar, she grabs his crotch and he says, don't do that, not here. And then later on, she says, I'm not even a backdoor version thanks to Roman. So obviously she's been sleeping with this soon-to-be police officer who's sleeping with an underage girl. Yes. So just another, you know, check good job for the dudes in this movie. Yeah. I think, too, it's like that kind of harkens back to small town stuff because how many girls, and you know the two I'm talking about, that were good little girls on Sunday morning, good little Christian girls Sunday morning, true love waits, and, you know, each had some pregnancy scares and were found topless in dudes' cars, which is totally fine. But it was just much different than the image that they were giving off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was like they were both like pageant queens and things like that. And, you know, very, very strict. Their dad was a preacher kind of thing. But yet the amount of stories about these girls and and that were true because some of them were what they told me about each other. And how young were they? Because the one, she was like 13 and she was with that dude that was like 17. Do you remember that? Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then she was 14 with an 18 year old. Yeah. Small towns. Yeah. I just want to let, I just want to let the record show that they are both Trump supporters now. Mm -hmm. I just happened to see one day. Not surprising. It's not. And it's like, and I don't judge them for anything because it's like they were, they were pretty girls. They were living their life. Go get it, queen. But the amount of shame that was put on other girls and the things they would say about other girls doing the exact same thing, but more openly was a little distasteful for my taste. There's a lot of shame thrown around for things that people are doing shame other people for them in life. Yeah, and I think it's like it's just the scrutiny that girls put each other under because we put each other under a microscope. It was like I always was trying to be the girl that I'm talking about. I was like, I always wanted to be like her and thought, oh, if I was just like her, then I'll be popular, then people will like me and you know, all of these things, or if I could just be her friend, you know, they're the ones that are saying terrible, terrible things about people doing the terrible things and then chastising the people that are also doing them. I don't know if that made sense. So they're they're here in Melody Lane with a fresh-faced Chris Pratt who right off the bat uses a homophobic slur. From what what is coming out about Chris Pratt, I think this is the most Chris Pratt-like character Chris Pratt plays. Because I think this is the character most close to who he actually is, as far as what's coming out about him. Oh. Because apparently he has a little bit of some homophobic issues. 
Oh, really? And apparently he might be a closeted Republican because he refuses to talk about politics. Celebrity standards, that means I'm a Republican. Well, he also married Arnold's daughter and isn't Arnold, didn't he run as a Republican? Yeah, but um, the Ma- Maria Shriver is Democrat, I think. But anyway, he says this slur about the band because they are wearing eyeliner. Yeah, oh, oh my God. Just like Adam Brody in guyliner. It's so good. Okay, so I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything, but oh my gosh, he walked out there and I was like, okay, crush on this dude. He's gorgeous. No, I started watching The O.C. with my roommate because I'd never seen it. Complete different character he is so approachable and like the kind of guy that you would feel comfortable talking to he's definitely not the heartthrob and then this he's like all sex and rockery and like very pete wentz of him or i think he's like trying to channel like adam levine from maroon 5 i think a little bit yeah because they mention him so probably and i'm like you're doing a good job dude (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. you can keep doing that Oh, Jennifer has a great line where she grabs Nadie's boobs and says, these are smart bombs. You point them in the right direction and shit gets real. Yes, because she says, don't you know we have all the power? And I love that. Yes. Oh, and I also like that she says you can tell that they're from the city, all um, sexy and I don't think she says sophisticated. And then she tells Roman that he wouldn't know anything because he's just a backwoods gomer. <laughs> That's really funny. Chris Preppy looking good in this movie too, but but Adam Brody yeah. is definitely- oh, Adam Brody. Hello. What is it about a guy chewing gum? It just makes them look like they don't care. (laughs) And I don't know why I like that. And his name is Nikolai, which is not his real name. I guarantee you the character's real name. His name is is Nicholas, but he definitely has changed it to Nikolai to sound cooler. Oh, yeah. And he tells them that it's important for them to connect with fans in the shitty areas, too. Yes. Did you know that the bartender in the bar is played by Diablo Cody? <gasps> no! I think she could, she catches on fire. Oh, does she? She said that she wanted to have a cameo in the movie, that it would be very like Alfred Hitchcock, like, oh, look, there's the writer. And she said that it was the worst thing ever and that acting sucks because it was just 12 hours of standing around in an apron not doing anything. Oh, okay, so the, when they're talking to Nikolai, she's like, can I buy you a drink? And Needy's like, what are you talking about? You're not, you're 17 or you're underage. You can't buy a drink. She's like, I'm going to play Hello Titty with the bartender. Tinder. <laughs> oh, she's gonna buy Nikolai a 9-11 tribute shooter. That is red, white, and blue, except you have to drink it real fast or it'll turn kind of a brown. Which is just like, what the actual fuck? Yeah, but 2009, man, times were weird. Well, I feel like there's a lot in there, but I don't think we have time to unpack that. No. But I was just like, oh my gosh, that just says small town America post 9-11. But while they're there, the bar literally catches on fire. People are scattering. One person gets trampled to death. There's also this conversation that Nikolai and his drummer or one of the guitarists have about Jennifer because they're talking about, oh, he's like, oh yeah, she's definitely a virgin. The other guys, no, she's not. And they're having this conversation about whether or not Jennifer's a virgin. And she's like, she's the one, which is like, ooh, that's foreshadowing. But Needy hears all of this. And so she goes up to them and she's like, just for your information, she is a virgin. And that's my best friend and you don't talk about her kind of deal. He also has a line that I was going to ask you about. The one guy says, I'm not just your bassist. Maybe he's not. So I was wondering, I didn't catch anything else in the movie that like 
alluded to what that could mean. Oh, they're brothers or they're like... Lovers. Yeah, or like what that meant. So I didn't know if you had a read on it. Well, I mean, spoiler alert, they're a band of Satan worshippers that go around sacrificing virgins in order to gain fame and fortune. So I I thought this was just like the... first time thing i mean maybe it is so maybe that's what he means maybe he's more than a bass player he's also like a member of their church or i mean these are rockers and it's like everyone knows a lot of times rockers it just again just point them in the direction and 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 a fuck fest happens so okay cool i was just curious yeah that could mean a number of things but yeah so they start playing the song and the song is through the trees yeah and so the there is this horrific fire that breaks out while they're playing. And Needy rescues Jennifer by getting her through the through the window of the bathroom. Jennifer is in shock. Yeah, she's not doing good at all. And so I was wondering, had they already started some sort of spell on her or something? I don't know, because she's really out of it. Yeah, she's super dazed. I don't know. I thought it was a thing because, I mean, when she's watching them play, she's just like enamored, like completely um, has a spell cast over her watching the span play. So I didn't know if it was kind of like, holy crap, I was here and then this happened and I'm not processing it. But these guys are really cute and I want to go see their van. But also it does kind of seem like she's under, like actually under a spell. And then he, Nikolai, just kind of appears next to them with this drink in his hand. Because that's weird too. And that's why I was wondering if maybe there was some devil stuff going on already. Well, did they set the fire? I was wondering if that was part of it but I didn't know that's another thing I was going to ask you because the way it just kind of starts and then spreads so fast I mean it, it could be I also wondered too if maybe there was something in the drink that he was kind of like forcing her to drink did she actually drink the shooter? No, she never drank the shooter. When he appears next to her and Needy when they're outside while the place is burning down, he's got like this crystal glass full of some sort of alcohol. Yeah, because I, I think like, if you take out like the, the, the Satanism and kind of the fantastical elements of the movie, it very much functions like you see a lot of date rapes in movies start or sexual assaults where it's like this guy like oh no she just she's just not feeling good she just needs something to drink oh yeah so just come with me it'll be fine and it kind of gave me that vibe right because i think at first that's what you're supposed to think is that they're basically getting like in a rape van with these dudes well needy even says something about it looking like a like a molester van with no windows and things like that yeah so needy's begging her not to go with him and jennifer is in this day she drinks the alcohol that he gives her and she's like yeah i want to go see their super cool van needy just leave me alone just just shut up just leave me alone oh it's just it's really sad the last time needy sees jennifer like it kind of cuts to her in the van and it's kind of under the arm of one of the players and you you kind of see the door and she just she looks so small she looks so young that that's a really sobering shot for me yeah and needy just wants to go get nachos or fries sounds like a much better idea nachos and fries are always better than guys fries before guys nachos before muchachos nice that's our shirt for this episode yes so we don't see what happens to jennifer we go home with needy and it's a dark quiet house and then she hears weird sounds and there's jennifer she don't look so good no she looks really bad and i think this is why i included the implied sexual abuse trigger because 
because she looks like she has experienced violence because she is covered in blood and dirt and she's completely dazed. Yeah, and she pins Needy against the wall. She kind of growls. She takes a chicken out, out of the refrigerator and devours it and then vomits it all up with black paint. Yeah, it is literally black spiky goo. As Needy says later, it's just, it's evil. But I think it's really funny because she's like, oh, my mom got that chicken from Boston Market. I'm not supposed to touch it. (laughs) Jennifer in her stupor is just like bent over it, like growling, eating the chicken. And then I guess because it's not the right thing, she vomits it all up because her body can't process it. But she does pin Needy against the wall and she goes, are you scared? And Needy's like, yes. But there is the single shot and it's so creepy. It's so scary that and they don't cut away from it for a really long time. And it's just of Jennifer's face as she slowly starts to smile. And as she's smiling in this day, she's not blinking and her mouth is full of blood. Like her, her teeth are bloodstained. It is so creepy like I can't look at it oh that reminds me of a shot in the very beginning where Jennifer's laying on the bed and she's like chewing on her hair which is really gross but her teeth have these kind of rusty looking stains on them and you know that it's blood and I'm like oh I hate it but that is such a good shot yeah 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 Yeah, and I think it also bears to say she's on the phone with Chip telling him about everything that happened when she realizes Jennifer's in the house. Because she's home alone because her mom like works the night shift or something. I think she's a, her mom is a nurse. I don't know that we find out. Her mom doesn't have a name. She's just Needy's mom. Needy's mom, well, played by the wonderful Amy Sedaris. But yeah, so this whole scene takes place. Jennifer just leaves and leaves Needy on the floor terrified with black goo everywhere that she has to clean up. And the next day at school, she looks fine. Mm-hmm. She she looks even better than before. Obviously, Needy can't figure out what's up. And Jennifer's like, what? Whatever. Life's good. I feel amazing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she looks amazing. And... And Needy is traumatized. Like, she's just sitting there, not blinking, just kind of in a daze. And one of the girls is talking about her behind her back and like, oh my God, she's acting just like my dad. He was part of Operation Freedom This. I can't remember what she says. It's something like, I can't remember what she says. Basically, they're saying that she's got like PTSD from being in the fire. Mm -hmm. And the whole school is upset and J.K. Simmons comes in and he's talking to them and he's got a claw hand. Yes, he he has lost a head, so he has like the claw hand. He also has hair, which is weirder. Yeah, he has these curly ringlets. Yeah. I'm guessing he was in this movie because he was in Juno. Probably. That's probably, there was a relationship there. So she was just like, hey, let's just use the same people. Yeah, I I do think it's weird because, or not weird, but I think it it bears mentioning she is completely gaslighting Needy in this. She's like, oh, remember when you thought it was an earthquake at Girl Scout camp, but it really wasn't. It was just this other thing. I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. And she's also basically like, people died, boo, whatever. Let's move on. Oh yeah, no empathy whatsoever. Yeah, she's like, okay. And Needy's trying to show her her hands like they're covered in goo. And she's like, oh, you need to get, she says something racist to um, buff your situation. Tells her she needs a manicure. Needy in her voiceover says, that she knows that it's real because she spent all night cleaning this black goo up 
out of her kitchen so she knows that she wasn't dreaming or hallucinating or anything like that. But yeah, so the whole town's reeling from this tragedy. And then we get the next tragedy. When Jennifer sees this football guy is this the dude that told her she was looking good and she said he wasn't cute enough to date her okay no so craig died in the fire that's who you're talking about okay and this is his best friend who is obviously completely heartbroken that his friend has died i thought it was really cool because it was showing a male character being emotional at the loss of a friend yes. and so it was showing him in a very vulnerable light jennifer in her new state which hasn't been explained to us but we know she's different goes up to him he's just standing in this football field and she's like hey i was actually the last person to talk to craig and he said that he thought you and me would make such a cute couple and she's like come with me it's what craig would have wanted so she leads him out into the woods and with the promise of sex and so he follows her and they're making out and all of these animals stop in the woods and are just watching them make out. And he's obviously understandably like, what the fuck? This is super weird. And she's like, oh no, they're just waiting. And then she unhinges her jaw in her demon face and eats him. And we actually don't see her eat him, but we hear his cries of agony. <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh, but we hear his cries of agony coming from the woods, as does J.K. Simmons' character who's getting into his car, and he goes, oh, yeah, let it all out, buddy. Because <laughs> he just thinks he's out crying in the woods. And I, at first I was like, how could he misunderstand what was happening? But then it actually does sound like someone just going out and crying out in like extreme grief. But then that's another thing that's cool is here's this other man that is validating an emotional outburst from another guy, even though... Though that's not what it is, he's still praising this kid for expressing his grief until he comes across his disemboweled body with a deer licking blood off of him. I don't know that deers lick blood. Yeah, I don't know about that either. Yeah, so I guess he hears the cries and instead of getting in his car, he decides to go out and check on the kid. Yeah, too late. Yeah, and he, he finds him. He, he's dead. But there is uh, a great little scene between Amy Sedaris and Amanda Seyfried as mom and daughter where she's like, you know, one day you're going to need me and I'm not going to be there, which is foreshadowing. And also something that our Nana used to say to us all the time. Yeah, and as Needy's making her lunch or whatever, she hears on the radio that the band Low Shoulder, which is the band that was playing at Mel Melody Lane, is going to be playing a benefit concert or they, maybe not a benefit concert, but they're going to be doing something. They like released a statement about how they hope that this record and this show c captures at least one tenth of, of Devil's Kettle's courage and spirit. And she's like, oh, fuck those guys. So let's take a second here and talk about the writer, Diablo Cody. Let's. So she was born in Illinois, outside of Chicago. Her real name is Brooke Bussey? Busey. I always say names wrong. It could be. I just, I would say Busey. Busey, okay. She came up with the name apparently from Wikipedia, uh, Diablo Cody, because she was driving through Cody, Wyoming and listening to the song El Diablo. And she did this because she was starting an adult blog called The Pussy Ranch. In an interview I saw, she started writing this blog and while she was doing this, she realized she wasn't cut out for the corporate life because she said that she liked to do as little work as possible and keep late hours. So she decided to try stripping. So she became a stripper. She actually wrote a biography called Candy Girl, A Year in the Life of an Unlikely Stripper. She got into screenwriting 
because a guy read her blog, said you need to write this into a book, helped her get a book deal, and then was like, you need to be a screenwriter. And it only took her a few months after that to write Juno, which was her first screenplay. Yeah, and that was a huge hit. Won her an Academy Award. It's just crazy. Oh, yeah, and she also, in 2011, co-wrote or wrote and produced um, Young Adult. Which is one of my favorite movies. A lot of people don't like it. It's not, it's not a likable movie, but I love it. I still have not seen it. But it's like, you might just vibe with her writing. That one. Like, I like Juno. I have kind of a special attachment to Juno because the day of my first big breakup, my friends took me to see Juno. Aw, um, I didn't so know it, that. Yeah, it has a soft spot in my heart for that because it kept me from crying for a few hours. Whatever it is about Young Adult, I love that movie so much. I'm not a huge Juno fan. I love Jennifer's Body and I've never seen Young Adult, but I may like that. Oh, did, she also wrote the script for the Broadway musical Jagged Little Pill, which is based on the music of Alanis Morissette. You really want to see that. I have heard a couple songs from the soundtrack. It is so good. Jennifer's Body was the first thing she did after Juno because people said, oh, you can do anything you want. And it was kind of one of those things where people, for whatever reason, like to see other people fail. So there was already like high expectations for Jennifer body that I don't know it could have lived up to. Well, yeah, and especially because it was marketed completely wrong. There's a interview with her a special feature on the Blu-ray and DVD where she kind of talks about that. And that was really interesting. She was a script revisor on the remake of The Evil Dead, which I want to see. Mm-hmm. And I'm just reading this in our notes, but she started working with Madonna this year on a screenplay about Madonna's life. I've been seeing a lot of things on like Instagram and stuff about different actresses that are like having makeovers to have them look like Madonna hoping that it will help them get the part when they start casting (laughs) this this is a big like everybody is about this I think this is a really good matchup too of writer and subject because it sounds like from her background her and Madonna are gonna gel. Yeah, I think so. But I think she's an interesting person. Like, I can't say that I just love everything that she's done. But overall, I do like most everything that she's done and love some of the things. Yeah, and also, if I see her name attached to something, I will typically give it a, a chance. I'm like, oh, I want to see that. Like, it'll kind of go to the top of my list if I see her attached to something. Because I, I like, especially with Jennifer's body, and get it, we'll get back into that in a second. I just love how she treats things ki- kind of irreverently, but there's the substance to it as well. I just appreciate the way she writes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.